three, two, one. Welcome back to the Anyone Can Run podcast. The podcast for those new members of the running community who want to knock out their first race, whether it's a 5K, full marathon, or anything in between. I am your host, True Bros, a.k.a. Gabe, a.k.a. The Sneakerhead slash Gamer slash Runner, and I am an NCCA certified personal trainer who specializes in helping clients reach their health and fitness goals while regularly live streaming games on YouTube. This podcast is a bit of motivational words, a chronicle of my running, my personal journey on the road to Gainesville, some poor attempts at humor, but above all, it's the place where we cover the marathon mindset, the running routines, and everything else you need to know to help you absolutely dominate your first race. Last episode, we covered the benefits and things to be cognizant of when training in the heat. And that got me thinking about how extra water is needed and how our running attire and all that changes over the course of 5,500, 600 minutes. Considering I was running low on ideas and and feeling, you know, if we're being transparent, which we always are here, pretty dang disinterested in running after knocking out the Dopey Challenge this past January. And yes, we're going to cover that entire ordeal one of these days, and hopefully we can get my lovely wife to be our first guest ever to discuss. Our little slice of the running internet didn't drop too many episodes post-race, and I apologize for that. In hindsight, that was due to a potent blend of negativity on my part, a cocktail of disdain for organized running, and not being totally sure of the direction I wanted our conversations to go, meant not only did the handful of ideas I had for episodes never get fully realized, but it also means the episodes I vehemently believe are in dire need of a remaster fell to the wayside. I know in, at some point in our conversations here, I mentioned that there were some older episodes that I wanted to remaster due to quality, changing content, uh, just a blend of issues, and unfortunately, I didn't get to those. One of which that we're going to discuss today is running gear. And over the years, I've especially, as the seasons on the calendar change, my predilections for what I'm wearing or carting around when I'm out pounding the pavement change because of course they do, right? I mean, you're wearing different stuff in January than you are in August. I love scrolling Instagram ads and looking at the newest fitness tech just like anyone else does. However, running can be as simple or as complex as you want it to be. Just because I enjoy looking at cool running watches or Fancy new shorts doesn't mean I'm going to drop an exorbitant amount of money on them when something from a local sporting goods store is comparable in quality. But by the same token, you get what you pay for. So, you know, there's a little bit of give and take there. I fell victim to this many times over the years, as I'm sure you all have at one point or another during your time here on planet Earth. But whenever you kick off a new endeavor or a hobby or whatever you want to call it, You're a mark for all the marketing jargon and the smoke and mirrors. Bit of an anecdote, but I love going to gaming and comic book conventions such as San Diego Comic-Con and PAX, although, you know, none of those are going down in real life for the foreseeable future. I love 
perusing the booths and you get people who were like town criers trying to peddle the latest cure-all from back in the day all hear ye hear ye come play our new indie game or look at my latest hand-painted figure and you get that same experience whenever you go to a race expo for packet pickup albeit on a much different and more often than not smaller scale I remember when the wife and I went to knock out the Rock and Roll Las Vegas Half Marathon last November to celebrate our one-year wedding anniversary. We walked through the largest running expo either of us had ever seen. Every booth was, come check out our cool running sunglasses with no bounds, or add this little fire to your water bottle and you'll be hydrated out of your mind with vitamins and minerals, or, which was quite possibly the oddest thing I've ever seen at a running expo, come eat this small bowl of potatoes and you'll, yes, we'll be on the race course to help you feel mid-race and you'll feel great. I've always enjoyed the energy of expos such as these because you get all the loud music and you see all your fellow runners get excited and people are trying to sell stuff and it's fun and I mean to keep it short the energy is palpable which is a term I hate using but I think you can understand here the atmosphere the atmosphere the energy it's all exciting and I've always found that to be enjoyable to be around right it helps me get hyped up myself that being said I ain't no sucker Sure, I'll look at stuff, and maybe even I'll try a couple things out, but at the end of the day, everyone who works a booth is trying to separate you from your cold, hard cash, and I ain't mad at them, because you gotta get paid, you gotta secure the bag, but I approach everything with a health, with a healthy or hefty amount of skepticism. I remember when I went to knock out the final run rock and roll Dallas race, and I was running that race solo, and I had forgot my trusty headphones. I know, rookie packing mistake 101. But I thought to myself, you know what, I'll just buy a pair at the expo, because someone is bound to be selling them. And sidebar, this is why whenever we travel now, we always make printable packing lists that we just throw into our suitcase so we don't forget anything. You know, you live and you learn. And actually, on that trip, I also forgot the charger for my Apple Watch, which I was using at the time. And the wife and I had to catch a ride to a local mall to pick one up. But hey, that's not super pertinent to the anecdote here that I'm relaying. Anyways, there weren't too many electronics vendors at this particular expo. It was a little on the smaller side. But I did see one that was selling headphones. They had a crowd and people were like, oh my God, these are so cool. So I'm like, all right, if everybody's checking it out, let me, let me try a pair. The dude was saying, oh, they sit over your ears and they use vibrations to do, I don't know, a bunch of junk, right? They look they look sort of like the opposite of what Jordy wore in Star Trek. Like, you know how he those covered his eyes? They look like that same thing, but flipped over like you're wearing sunglasses on the back of your head, which, you know, I don't I don't really dig that. But I'm like, OK, let me try them. And how much are they? The dude avoids the price question, right? Which obviously is like, OK, I don't like that. Right. So I try them on. They're insanely uncomfortable, and I'm like, nah, 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 fam, I'm good. Yeah, I ended up running that race without any headphones, which isn't a big deal. But the point I'm trying to illustrate is you can't allow yourself to be a sucker for hype or to get caught up in the moment. It doesn't matter if it's running or a video game expo or the consumer electronics show, which is probably the best place to see cool stuff, but I digress. The, the point is, there's always some fancy new gadget to try to separate you from your money. Even though running is easily the most approachable and simple sport, it's no different from any other hobby or endeavor in that regard. 
There are a plethora of options when it comes to running gear. And today we're going to wade through the noise and I'm going to tell you what I use and why, what brands and accessories I favor currently and why, and most importantly, things to be cognizant of when you're shopping around because I know money doesn't grow on trees and I'm all about being the most frugal person I can be. If money isn't something you need to worry about because you've got it made in the shade, well then I hope this episode can still prove useful because it'll give you some ideas on where to begin investing your cashola because you still don't want to be a sucker and buy a bunch of stuff you're never going to use. And also, you know, just sidebar, if money really ain't a thing and you're loaded out of your mind, I could absolutely use a pair of chunky dunky Nikes or the high top Dior Jordans or any of the Grateful Dead Nike skateboard shoes in size 11. You know, I'm just going to throw that out there if, uh, you know, you want to support the podcast, but, uh, you know, just going to throw it out there, right? If money's no issue. Speaking of those stylish sneakers that I'm a big fan of, when we're talking about all the tools in a runner's armory. The single most important piece of equipment or gear is shoes. Running is the most approachable sport, hence the name of this podcast. And while you don't need a ton of fancy equipment, if you're new to distance running, which is any distance over five miles, you're going to want to invest in a pair of high quality shoes. I'll let you know right now, I am a sucker for kicks of all varieties. I love fly sneakers, which is why I'm chasing those gorgeous chunky dunky kicks, and I, you know, actually, this is another sidebar. I created a pretty nifty video to enter this contest to try and win a pair. And you know what? It's on the True Bros YouTube. If you want to see it, it was a great entry. Or you could just pop over to the gram if you want to check it out. Either way, I didn't win the contest. But hey, sometimes that's just how the ice cream melts. The Chunky Dunkies were a collaboration with Nike and Ben and Jerry's ice cream brand. They're pretty sweet. Even if you don't want to buy me a pair, you should Google them because they're pretty cool looking. Either way, what I'm, I'm losing my focus here, but I dig sneakers and I love me some running kicks, but I'm still frugal and seeing a price tag of around $150 for a quality pair of running shoes or awesome sneakers causes my heart to drop a little bit, I'll admit. However, when we're talking about running shoes, as opposed to my beloved sneakers, these are much more of an investment to help you reach your goals and are literally the only thing you absolutely need to complete 13.1 or 26.2 miles in the upright position. If you can swing it from a financial perspective, I'd recommend picking up two pairs of shoes you can rotate between to help both sets last longer. Around March, or maybe it was April, I saw the pair of shoes I use on sale so I currently rotate three pairs for running, which helps me extend the life of all three. And it means I won't have to pick up another pair anytime soon, uh, hopefully, you know, next spring, which is pretty sweet because that means I can go and waste money on things that aren't budgeted for anything else like video games or more Nike skateboarding kicks. When it comes to selecting a pair of running shoes, you know, not the fly sneakers that I'm a fan of, there are a few things to be mindful of. Before we even get into any of the specifics, though, allow me to offer a humble suggestion your way. If it's safe in your area, given the whole, you know, global pandemic right now and running stores are open, if you're able and comfortable, you should absolutely go to a local running store to do a running evaluation or a treadmill test, depending on whatever they have. It's free, it doesn't take very long, you get personalized information, and there's a fair chance you'll get to converse with experienced runners, you know, check out additional gear, and maybe even learn about a local running club. There's not much of a downside to going other 
than, you know, the pandemic. So if you're safe and stores are open and you feel comfortable, right, everybody has different risk tolerance, do yourself a favor and swing by if you have one in your area. So I know you're thinking, True Bros, I'm brand new to running. There's no local running stores open or I'm not comfortable going. So I don't know what kind of shoes I want. What do I do? Do I have to do a test? Is it absolutely imperative? No, not at all. Heck, to this day, I've never done one because I already know what's good for my foot, my running style, and my body type. But it does at the very least provide you with a jumping off point as you begin to dive deep into the world of running shoes. And it doesn't cost a thing if there's one in your area. So there's no harm in getting it done in my eyes. Especially if you're the sort of person who has no problem saying no to salespeople, then do yourself a favor and dedicate a few minutes to learning all about yourself while you check out all the stylish gear. But since we've already established that a treadmill test or a running evaluation or whatever you want to call the little test where people evaluate your running style and your foot is little more than a quote unquote nice to have, or if you're just anti-social and a know-it-all like I am, or you don't have access to a running store, have no fear. By keeping a few things in mind, doing a quick at-home test, and spending literally about 10 minutes with our dear friend Google, you can reasonably pick a pair of shoes off the internet which will be suitable to your foot. Unlike those stylish sneakers I like to rock, which literally just, you know, have to be long enough to stick my foot in, since we're going to be racking up high mileage at faster than typical walking speeds, when it comes to running shoes, you want to select a pair that's perfect for your foot. During our initial run-through of this episode months ago, I dove into different arch types and how these are pretty dang important when you're selecting a pair of kicks. However, I know you're out running or driving to work or using the soothing sound of my voice to block out your kids in the other room who are most likely losing to me on Apex Legends on Xbox right now, so they're understandably frustrated. And as a result, you don't want to hear a deep technical dive into the nuances of foot shape. Nah, 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 nah. If you need help determining if you have a flat, medium, or high arch at the bottom of your foot, all you've got to do is pop at-home arch test or foot wet test into the old Google machine, and you'll see just how easy it is to determine what kind of arch you're running on. The beauty of going to a local running store and having them do the running evaluation is they tell you what kind of arch you have and they'll cover your running gait. But here's where yours truly is going to cut through the noise and get down to brass tacks. First off, let's assume you're a new psychomaniac member of the running community and you're like, True Bros, what's a gate? First off, welcome to Anyone Can Run. It's the best running podcast around, and you're welcome. And second, gate is basically how your foot hits the ground when you run. You might think, what are you talking about? My foot hits the ground flat like everyone else, one foot in front of the other. The beauty of those running evaluations is they tell you without you having to think about it, does your foot land neutrally, or does it roll slightly inward or outward? It's relatively important to know because this determines where your foot needs additional cushioning. However, you could probably hazard a reasonable guess if you really focus on paying attention to where your foot lands when coming into contact with the ground without overthinking it. But let's break the whole concept of gait down for a second. I know a lot of experienced runners are going to be splitting hairs and they're going to say, oh, no, you can't you can't say this and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I've worked with a lot of people and I don't think this is being unsafe. So let's let's break it down for a second. Let's operate under the assumption that obviously this is a limited sample size, but every client I've ran with 
And I'll point out, this has been done with some who have done the running analysis test and some who haven't. I tell them to practice landing in the middle of their foot when running. So right on the arch, right? Like when you're running and if you consciously think about it, obviously we're not slamming our foot, but you're just kind of landing normally on the center of your foot, right? On, on the arch. If you think about it for a minute and you practice regularly, then boom, that gait analysis has been rendered not incredibly important. If you feel, if you can physically feel that you're landing regularly on your arch and again, not slamming your foot down, right? Like you're running normally and comfortably, but you can feel that point of impact being the bottom of your shoe or the middle of the sole of your shoe or whatever. My advice if you can't make it out to get a running evaluation completed, or you're just a know-it-all like me and don't find it to be incredibly important, when you're out running, focus on landing on the middle of your foot and you'll be fine. My thought process in most things is always to correct and improve where I can and not sweat things that are out of my control. You can correct running form, right? You can consciously dictate where your foot strikes the ground with practice, but you can't adjust the shape of your foot. When it comes to selecting a pair of shoes, I always prefer to prioritize arch over gait because again, I'm all about getting straight to the point. Your mileage may vary, right? And you may vehemently disagree with that, but I'm always going to give you the rationale behind my philosophy. And in my eyes, as long as you know what kind of arch you're stomping around on, you've got the most important piece of knowledge tucked away in that big, beautiful brain of yours. I say, I think it's important to always explain that rationale so you can at least understand where I'm coming from, right? You may not agree with it, but that's fine, right? We don't have to. But I vehemently believe that your arch dictates what type of shoe you need to pick up. And although we could break down the various different types of running shoes available, considering this information is most likely going to go in one ear and out the other, it's probably best if we just briefly touch on a couple quote-unquote good-to-knows to keep things straightforward. Once you know what kind of arch you have, think about where your primary running environment is. Is it on the trail or the road? And before you ask, yes, it's absolutely fine to use road shoes on the trail or vice versa. Don't think that's taboo or anything like that. I personally use a specific road shoe for running and have no issues taking it out on the trail. I mention this because if you're brand new to selecting shoes, I think it's only natural to feel like, oh no, I have trail shoes. I can't go run miles on a road or vice versa. Nah, nah, nah. Just get you one that can do a little bit of both and you'll be just fine. So quick summary. We know what kind of arch we have and the primary environment we're running in. So now you can begin doing a little Google research to see what kind of shoe is ideal for you. Obviously, it's a great idea to go to a local sporting goods store and try some stuff out so you can feel those gel cushion soles under your feet and make sure the toe box is oh so comfy. But you've got to do what's right for you, especially given, you know, COVID. I don't want this to be some auditory, technical, deep dive into the mechanics of shoes. So let's summarize the most important stuff to keep in mind when shopping around for a pair. Make sure they actually fit and your toes aren't cramming up against the edge of the shoe. That's the toe, bo the toe box. And then make sure if you're primarily running on trails or roads, you want to make sure that they're right for your arch. And if you can try on a pair before you buy, Try and do your fit test in the late afternoon or at the end of the day, since our feet tend to swell throughout the course of the day. Before we move on to discussing socks, and boy oh boy do I have a couple stories about socks, 
let me just say one thing, because I may or may not have been guilty of this in the past. Do not wear new shoes for the first time on race day or during a long run. You want to try them out. You want to give them a little walk or a test run before going in for the long haul just to see how they feel. I also recommend reading some reviews. I'm a big fan of Runner's World shoe reviews and get out there and do some comparison shopping. Just remember, you want your foot to be supported, not corrected. Now, I don't know about you, but prior to getting into running, socks were the piece of clothing I probably had given the least amount of thought to in my life up to that point. I had everyday socks and dress socks, and that was about it. One of the worst feelings I can think of as it pertains to clothing is the feeling of wet socks in your shoes. It's just like wrong on a fundamental level. Well, back in the day, I used to rock uh, cotton socks because why not? And once I started running, let me just say that was a bad combination. The cushioning was all wrong. My feet would get all hot and sweaty. And eventually I'd feel like I was running with my feet covered in syrup, which is not a feeling any runner ever wants to experience. Of this, I'm positively certain. When I reach into the sock drawer now, oh baby, baby, I've got four different varieties. I've got the stylish, light and cushioned socks I use for dress shoes. I've got some socks that are similar but a little thicker because I love rocking big heavy boots like uh, Red Wings or whatever to the office with jeans and a button-up shirt to give you a little bit of a preview of my workday fit. When it comes to the kicks for my styling and profiling sneakers, I use Asics brand quarter socks. Because most of my shoes are high tops, and I like a very light synthetic sock. For running, I use the same brand, but I opt for a no-show running sock with a little bit of cushion on the heel tab. And now, I'm going to relate a story I thought I'd never share with the world, but hey, you live and you learn, and sharing those life experiences through the lens of running is what our little slice of the internet is all about. So I just mentioned that I'm very partial to a synthetic running sock and it's no show and it has a bit of cushioning on the heel, uh, like very right on the heel tab, like the very back. It has like a little tab that's just a little line of cushioning. So when it was time for me to invest in running socks, I didn't even bother doing any research, right? I just went to a local sporting goods store. I found some that I thought felt light and that like they would wick away moisture. They had cushioning on the ankle because... I've always uh, been, I think it comes from like playing basketball in like middle school, but I always was kind of paranoid about ankles. So I always like cushioning either on the ankle, if it's a high top or if it's a low top, I like that cushion right on the heel. And I found some that they had that cushioning and I just picked them up and I've been using the same ones ever since. Although I have to order a few pairs every few months. Well, about three weeks ago, I went for a walk instead of a run on my lunch hour. Sometimes, you know, you're too sore or you just need an active rest day to give your hamstrings or your calves an opportunity to recover. So I was like, all right, let's just go for an hour walk. Fired up a podcast. I put on some pants and a long sleeve shirt, despite it being super hot because uh, I hate putting on sunscreen. So I that minimizes the amount of skin that's exposed. So I went out and I did about five miles or so. And, you know, I was just zoning out, listening to the podcast. I felt, but I noticed pretty early on that my right heel was bugging me a little bit, but I figured it was just dirt or grass or something because that tends to get into my shoes pretty frequently. So I just kind of reached down and like swatted away, right? But when I get home, I go to shower 
and I noticed the back of my shoe was actually rubbing against my bare heel for most of the walk, which meant I needed a rather large bandage over the heel for a few days to allow the blister to heal up. Believe it or not, I've never once had to deal with blisters for the entire time I've been running, so I was pretty caught off guard. Needless to say, I didn't wear shoes for a few days and I kept myself bandaged up, but this happened because those trusty low socks I'm oh so fond of had begun to shrink due to repeated washings, which inadvertently left my ankle or my heel exposed. I relay this little painful anecdote to emphasize that obviously when you're searching for socks, you want something that's going to be light and moisture wicking, but don't forget that you've got to keep yourself comfortable. Because those minor annoyances at the one mile marker can turn into a pretty significant pain at five miles, which means come the 10 mile, you know, entry point or whatever you call it, waypoint, you need to throw in the towel due to pain or discomfort. I'd recommend avoiding heavy cotton socks, ordering a few pairs from some different places and maybe they're made of a few different materials, or maybe just going to a local sporting goods store and trying a few different varieties to find the ones you're most comfortable with. To change gears a little bit, since the original version of this episode dropped, believe it or not, yours truly has become affiliated with a few different brands. Honey Stinger, shout out to my HS Hive crew, makes some of the best runner fuel around. And Rabbit, aka Run and Rabbit, shout out to my Rad Rabbits, makes some of the best running clothes around. I'm giving you this knowledge up front, not because I want you to think, oh my god, he's so cool. And yes, I'm gonna go tweet both Run and Rabbit and Honey Stinger to tell them both to give True Bros his own affiliate link. Nah, 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 nah. I'm sharing this up front because our conversations here are always about honest and being direct. And it was as much my choice to become a brand ambassador for those specific products as it was for them to select me. It's not like I get paid or get free stuff to be an ambassador. But, you know, when you when you really believe in a brand, then, you know, you want to represent them. I bring this up because obviously we're going to discuss these brands, which I vehemently believe are the best at what they do. However, uh, you know, I just mentioned the ones that I've used over the years. And perhaps the most important thing that we're going to cover in the next few minutes when it comes to shopping for gear, at least to me, is price. And we're going to discuss that. You can call me the frugal runner and or the frugal gamer, but I've no interest in spending crazy amounts of money on something just because it looks cool. If I'm spending more than $30 on a pair of shorts, they better be well worth the money. And that's part of the reason why I became a member of Team Rad Rabbit. The rabbit gear isn't cheap by any means, but you absolutely get what you pay for when it comes to quality. Their FKT shorts are the absolute most comfortable running shorts I've ever worn in my life. They are so light, you barely notice them. And if I have any complaints, it's that I wish they had zipper side pockets, but I can admit that's just me wishing on a star. I know not a lot of runners like side pockets, but I just love them, right? It's like my wife, when she talks about dresses, she always wants side pockets. That's how I want my running shorts. I don't know what it is. I think it's just so I can like drop my phone in there. But when I picked up my first pair prior to joining Team Rad Rabbit, I let my wife feel the FKT shorts. And she was like, wow, I need to order these. These are amazing. So eventually, you know, I'll get around to being a good spouse and picking up a pair for her as well. But I can tell you right now, I've never used shorts that felt so light are tailor-made for moisture wicking and feel incredibly durable, which is important because if you're like me and you want to go out and log multiple miles per day, that means that you need to, you need the gear to hold up to repeated washings. 
Simply put, if you're on the market for high-quality running tops and shorts, in my personal opinion, you can't do any better than Running Rabbit. That's why I signed up with them, and it's what I recommend to all you Psychomaniac members of the running community who want to pick up top-notch running clothes. I love that they're active within their community. They manufacture all their stuff in Los Angeles. They're sold in specialty running stores throughout the United States, and I think in Germany as well. I could be wrong. Don't quote me. But I think they make the best gear around. And they also make all of their brand ambassadors pledge to run clean. Because it doesn't matter if we're talking on the racetrack, trying to secure the latest pair of sneakers, or we're talking about Apex Legends or Call of Duty, I do not abide cheaters. The point is, I'm a big fan of their stuff, and I can't recommend their clothes enough. It took me literally years of trial and error to find what I'm most comfortable with and what features are most important to me when shopping for running clothing. Because of that, and I absolutely believe that there is no substitute for experience, I recommend you go to a local running or a sporting goods store to pick up a few different tops and shorts to find what you're most comfortable wearing while pounding the pavement. Because... Like, for example, let's say you say, okay, I want to try the running rabbit stuff, but you see that their tank tops are made of a specific material or specific synthetic blend that you don't like. Then it doesn't matter if you pick up one at a local sporting goods store or you pick up high quality. If you don't like that, you don't like that. And you're not going to necessarily like that tank top just because it's higher quality, if that makes sense. You know, we'll get into accessories and all of that in a bit. But it takes time and experience to learn if you're more comfortable with lighter weight or heavier materials, which can be determined by how much you sweat during extended run sessions. I'll tell you right now, I always knew I broke a sweat pretty easily, but it wasn't until I started running distances of 10 miles plus when I learned that I'm a crazy heavy sweater, meaning there would literally be a layer of salt in my headband if there's even a hint of humidity in the air if I'm running like six miles more which I know it sounds gross and it's not typically something I like discussing, but a lot of those super, super light tank tops that are quote unquote moisture wicking, well, as someone who sweats crazy, those things get very, very heavy and they stick to me and they're cool and it's a gross feeling and it makes me feel sick. It makes me just want to like take the shirt off when I'm running, which obviously I can do and I do sometimes, but The point is there are specific materials that I avoid because even if they're moisture wicking, when I'm pouring gallons of sweat, it feels like, then those become very heavy and cool and very uncomfortable to wear. So as a result of that, I favor very light materials when I'm running. And when it comes to clothing, unless it's below 50 degrees Fahrenheit, I'm all about less is more. My wife, even though it can be pretty warm outside she really likes running in like those uh like capri pants because they're they're very light and she says they don't make her hot so it's all about finding what you're most comfortable in and in order for you to find out if you like running with tights or shorts or compression shorts or compression pants or shirts or tank tops or sleeveless shirts i recommend you try a few different things and go by feel if you go to a local sporting goods store and you you purchase uh, store brand stuff You tend to get away with spending way less than you would if you opt for a name brand. And while the quality may or may not be there, there, at the very least, it affords you the opportunity to find out the length of running shorts or pants you prefer, as well as the style of tops. Now, whenever I run a race and I get one of those, what are they called? Tech shirts? You know, like the, uh, the race shirts that everybody has? 
They go straight to my wife because I can't stand running in those. When I first started running, my race shirt collection was exclusively what I wore. However, once I discovered much more comfortable or how much more comfortable I was when running in crazy light tank tops, all of those either went in her drawer or the donation bag. Time to move on from tops. Let's discuss the gear sitting on your big, beautiful head. It's pretty much always a good idea to run with a sweat or a headband to keep your sweat and hair out of your eyes. I remember always thinking for probably the first four races I did, the first two years I was running regularly, I remember thinking that sweater headbands were for people with long flowing locks and, you know, I have pretty short hair and then I got LASIK. When it was time for me to resume running, the doctor advised me to wear a sweatband to keep sweat out of my eyes and it was like I'd been running like a fool for the past few years. I live in central Texas where it's hot and humid practically 11 months out of the year and I'd always just use my shirt to wipe sweat from my eyes. Wearing a headband that can do that for you so I don't have to run and pull up my shirt like a rookie? Absolutely priceless. I recommend rocking a headband when you're out pounding the pavement and on race day because now I can't even fathom running without one. Since I'm very much an old school type bro, I just picked up a four pack of old school solid color sweatbands in black, gray, and red, and I feel like an, I'm an ABA player from the 1970s, and they've been getting the job done for me. Again, I'm all about finding that right balance of quality and quantity and price, and these were cheap and they got the job done, and I sweat like a madman, so I need something that can soak it up. And I also want many because I don't want to keep washing the same four every other day, you know? That being said, there are a variety of sweat and headbands available at pretty much any race you go to, as well as online by companies like Time to Run and Junk Headbands, and none of them are exorbitantly expensive. Don't forget the difference, right? Sweatbands are for soaking up sweat, which I need, and headbands may be moisture wicking, but they're primarily to keep your hair out of your face. Like my brother-in-law got me or recommended I get a junk headband and it was great when my hair was longer, but it doesn't really soak up the sweat and that's just what I need. So while I went with my old school cotton sweatbands for like 10 bucks, there's no harm in spending a little more and finding something that not only gets the job done, but expresses a little bit of your personality. Now let's move on to one of my favorite topics, sunglasses. So you know how some minutes ago I discussed those running expos? I've attended quite a few over the years, and some company always purports to have the best running sunglasses with no bounce. Inevitably, I try them on, maybe I jump up and down a little bit, and poof, they slide all over the place. So I'm out, and I ain't listening to a dang thing they're saying anymore. However... At one expo, I discovered the company Gooder, so that's good with an R on the end, Gooder. And they absolutely make sunglasses which don't bounce at all. And I now have multiple pairs stashed in my room and in my car to make sure I always have one handy. Even if you sweat like crazy like I do, these stay in place and that's invaluable. So I tend to wear my, uh, what are they called, the earbuds, like the wireless Bluetooth earbuds, head band and sunglasses and I'm pretty comfortable even though I'm normally sweating like a madman and these always stay in place and I used to use polarized fishing glasses that looked all like matrix sporty but they'd inevitably break and I've been using the same pair of gooders for most of my runs since picking them up 
actually now it's probably been just over a year ago at an expo, and they still look dang near perfect. They aren't crazy expensive. They look cool and are insanely high quality. It's like, what more could you ask for? I personally recommend a pair of Gooder sunglasses if you're looking for a solid running pair. And it's not a crazy investment if you want to give them a try. I think they can normally be found between like $25 and $35, which I mean isn't a drop in the bucket, but considering that really high-end sunglasses can you know, be upwards of $100, I think they're worth every penny. And now I want to talk about the fun stuff. When you're getting into high mileage, and unless you're doing your training runs near tons of water fountains, odds are you're going to want a way to carry water and snacks with you. You've got a variety of options here, including handheld hydration flasks, running belts, running hydration vests, and really slim hydration backpacks, and we'll run through the pros and cons of each one here quickly. Now I'll confess, due to my previously mentioned disdain for, like, having anything on my chest, I've never ran with a running vest that holds water bottles, nor have, have I ever ran with a slim hydration backpack, more commonly referred to by the brand name of Camelback. If you go to a local sporting goods store, odds are they'll have at least some of these options in stock, so you can try them out for yourself. But just remember, while they may feel light and comfy while you're in the store, bear in mind the water bottle or water bottles or the camelback hydration bladder will increase with weight when filled. And the concept of having something cool pressed against my back or having something bounce along the front of my chest is extremely annoying and just makes me go bleh. But your mileage may vary, so there's no harm in ordering a couple and then returning them if you see one that you like while you're window shopping or if you find that none of them are comfortable for you. So as I look up in the studio, aka the closet, I can confirm that I currently own three running belts. A flip belt, a Nathan brand running belt with a zipped pouch that has room for a single 16-ounce water bottle, and a Rock and Roll Marathon Series Edition hydration belt, which has room for three five-ounce water bottles. In my opinion, the flip belt is the absolute best running belt available on the market if you want to put in your phone and your keys. Like you put in like little stuff like that. Like I think I ran with my phone keys and wallet in there and you will be surprised how there's virtually no bounce. That being said, the second you add a five ounce water bottle or larger and flip belt specific has uh, hydration bottles like for the belt. But the second you get a full water bottle in there, the added weight adds a substantial bounce right up on your body because this flip belt is uh, it's almost like a cummerbund, like it's right up on your waist. So having a water bottle right there to me, it was incredibly annoying. I used it once and I was like, all right, I'm not going to run with these water bottles ever again. Same deal with the Nathan 16 ounce hydration belt. However, because it's a single water bottle and that's more of a traditional belt that has uh, like a little holster for the water bottle, I was able to orient that on my hip as opposed to behind me and I was able to run comfortably enough. I used that for a few races actually. That run rock and roll edition belt that I have I bought because when I did the Las Vegas marathon the first time or the half marathon the first time I forgot my hydration belt because you know I didn't pack and that's my fault. This again this is why you always want to have a packing list so I just picked it up at the expo so I would have something. And it has three five-ounce water bottles. And they weren't annoying because of, uh, you know, they're a little lighter. And because there's three, there's even weight distribution kind of around your waist. Even when uh, they were all filled, I think because they're spaced evenly. But still, I just wasn't a big fan of it either way. 
my running belts got me through, I want to say, I know they got me through two full marathons and six half marathons. But my days of using them as my primary means of carting around hydration and fuel during training runs are over. There's no harm in trying running belts out and seeing what's most comfortable for you while you're out there pounding the pavement. What I use now on runs which are at or surpass the 8 mile mark is a handheld hydration flask. These are available for multiple companies, but I own a pair of Nathan brand ones I got off, I want to say Amazon, because they were on sale, right? Again, frugal shopper, man. A hydration flask is a hand strap attached to a water bottle, which also has like a little zipper slash container thing for your phone. And since I typically run while holding my phone in my hand, this was a no-brainer for me, right? Because when I run, and this is why I want side pockets on shorts, because most running pair, right, most running shorts will have a zipper pocket in the back, which is great for my keys, but I also have my phone, and my phone's not tiny, right? I don't have the little, uh, what was it, men in black phone. So uh, I tend to run and hold my phone. This way, I've got nothing pushing up against my stomach or on my back when I'm running. However, I am carrying it the whole time. And while I've never felt that to be cumbersome, most likely due to the fact I switch hands, you know, every few minutes or every few miles, I could see how someone might get tired of carrying it during extra long training sessions or even on race day. There are a variety of options available to be sure you've got hydration, carbs, your keys, and any other essentials accessible during training. Don't forget to look at the course map of whatever race you've signed up for and estimate your anticipated time of reaching each aid station as there's a chance you may not even need to carry anything with you on race day if you're running an organized race course. That being said, I always are on the side of caution. So if you'll ever line up next to me at the starting line, you'll see me with my handheld hydration flask. The point of this episode is to attempt to lay out all the gear you could possibly need as a runner. But I know we didn't touch on every little thing. These are just general guidelines to give you an idea of what you may or may not find useful and to help you build your arsenal of running gear as you begin training for your first race. I absolutely believe anyone can run, but there's a heck of a lot of snake oil being peddled to try to separate you from your hard-earned cash. Keep focused on your goal of finishing your first race in the upright position and don't let any of the noise distract you. I hope you found this episode helpful. And whatever you do, do your research. Don't go cheap on your shoes. They can make all the difference in the world between feeling like your feet and your knees can't take another step after six miles and just feeling exhausted but still able to push at mile 22. Especially for race day. doesn't matter if it's a virtual race or if it's in person. Make sure you get an outfit that's not only comfortable, and obviously you've completed long runs in a couple times, but get something that you're proud to wear, that you look good, and that you feel good in. The old adage goes, if you look good, you feel good. And that's absolutely true. Lining up at the starting line for your first race is the culmination of the countless hours and miles you've logged over the six, nine, or 12 months that you've dedicated to training. Have some fun with it and express some personality, especially if you're running a virtual race around a few people or you're in person at a run Disney or rock and roll race. You can bet some people will be dressed up. I appreciate you spending some time with me today and I hope you're seeing what I see, that truly anyone can run. We drop new episodes every other Monday, so make sure you smash that subscribe button. If you've ever got questions or ideas for a topic you'd like covered in a future episode, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at anyone can run pod.
If you enjoy Anyone Can Run, notify a fellow runner or someone who wants to kick off their journey on the road to Gainesville so we can all help one another live a healthy and fit lifestyle. It also helps when you leave a quick rating and review in your podcast app of choice to help us reach our goal of dominating the charts. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast. And if you did, don't forget to pound that subscribe button. If you didn't enjoy it, well, it's free and you get what you pay for. So regardless, I look forward to seeing you on the road to Gainesville.